Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. Great to see everybody on this beautiful Sunday. I have a few announcements uh, before we have a special treat before we start our time of worship. Uh, we have three special opportunities this next weekend I want you all to be made aware of. First off, for the men, uh, this coming next Saturday is a men's day hike on February 25th at 9 a.m. Uh, men of all ages, it could be sons from five years old and up, are welcome. Um, Grady's leading a team. Uh, they're going to hike a five-mile trail near Lake Martin, and all the details of the trip are on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. So, men, if you want to check that out, next Saturday, February 25th at 9 o'clock. Also, very excited about this for next week. We're having our second run-through of our Foundations membership class. If you have been visiting here for, if this is your first Sunday, we welcome you. So glad you're here. Um, if you're first Sunday or your second or third or however long for visitors, anybody who's interested in about who we are, our DNA, some of the core values of what we believe as a church, uh, we will have a four-week uh, class that's going to take place over here in the gym building. Uh, next Sunday it begins, February 26th at 9 a.m. And uh, each class will be taught, be four of them, four weeks straight, will be taught by one of our elders. And so we will be covering many different areas and topics of uh, just kind of like our DNA and what we believe, our theological base. So that's next week. And this is required um, to be a member of Gateway at some point. It's just a, one part of the step, one part of the process. Uh, the Discover Gateway class that grading them hold at their home is another part of that. But you can absolutely begin this next week. If some of you uh, who started it before may have missed a couple of them, please think about that to make up the ones that you may have missed. That'd be a great time to do it if you missed one of the two that we did back in the fall. So that begins next Sunday, February 26, 9 o'clock in the gym building, uh, four-week class, uh, the foundations class for us. All right, who's 50 and up in here? 50 and up, join me with my hands. Woo! No, be proud. Be proud. We're the nifty 50s and beyond. Woo! I still am young at heart. What's that? It is nifty being 50. So. Anyway, next week, we have an opportunity to fellowship and enjoy one another. Next Sunday, immediately after church, uh, we're going to be at the home of Rick and Mary Jane Evans right here. They live right up the road here in Sturbridge. Uh, we're going to be uh, gathering for a time, a meal, and enjoy one another. The website has the details of what to bring to help um, add to that. And then also, there's an opportunity uh, for those that desire to stay a little later and go to this. There's a concert at the Art Museum uh, for those that want to uh, attend that together. There's details on the website on how to get the tickets, and then the group will go over to meet to fellowship there at the Art Museum as well. So next Sunday, great time of fellowship. Lastly, opportunity for next month. I'm really excited about this. Anytime we can get together as the body of Christ beyond these walls and be with other congregations and other uh, extended family, we want to participate. So it's called uh, the North American Mission Board that we're a part of in the Southern Baptist Convention. has an arm of it called Send Relief. Okay, and so they do things all over the world and primarily the United States to do disaster relief and projects in different places. And so for this next year, they are going to do what's called a serve tour globally. We're not just a part of the United States. This is a global tour. They're hitting specific cities and specific weekends to serve city, to serve their communities. So we have an opportunity as Gateway to be a part of what's happening in Montgomery on March 10th and 11th to join other family members and believers from all across the city to serve Montgomery and the River Region. There's over, in the River Region, over 40 to 50 different projects that different churches, Body of Christ, congregations are going to participate in. We have the privilege that we're going to target 
because we serve them so well and I've already partnered with them, we're going to have the opportunity to serve Capitol Heights Middle School. And so we really want to encourage you to pray about this, consider it. The details are on the website. Come talk to me. I'm going to be a part of leading the team um, that's participating at Capitol Heights. They need some painting. They need some rooms changed, some furniture moved, all sorts of different things. But it will be that Friday and Saturday. For this project specifically, um, it has to require those 16 years old and up for this specific project. There's other ones you can get on the website if you talk to me that any ages can participate in. This specific one is 16 and up. We can discuss that further if you want to talk about it. But very excited for the opportunity to join others, for us to help out the school that we have partnered with for years and to serve Principal Harrison and those kids and those teachers. So come talk to me if you want have any questions about that. So we are about to start our time of worship. And how many were here last week? Just a wonderful time of getting to see precious sister here be baptized and to hear an amazing testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness and just what he did. And so this morning, we're going to have the privilege of her being able to encourage us with a song that God used to really impact her life, draw her to the Lord and uh, for what we got to experience last week. So it's our call to worship and to prepare our hearts before the Lord. Uh, Kenzie's going to sing a song over us, honoring the Lord and declaring his goodness. And then after that, we'll enjoy our time.
visible. I pray for your healing, that circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a breakthrough would happen today. I pray miracles over that attitude of just looking at the revival that comes through Christ, the hope that comes in Christ, that as we're going to be looking later on today, just as we begin to look at the cross and God's suffering on the cross and what it means for us and just in light of the gospel that we can sing just in that light today that death was arrested. His grace washes over us. He's made us new. That life begins with Christ. Let's sing this this morning.
For sake of his name, we've sung it several times before, but I just want to read the text and where it comes from. And uh, as we look forward to, again, in 1 Peter, as we're getting ready to touch on this, in Christ's suffering for our sake. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, this is Ezekiel 36, starting in 22. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. 
and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and in, in the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. All we have to bring, as scripture says, is filthy rags. That is our righteousness, filthy rags. But God acts on his own name. God sends his son to come and be the go-between, the propitiation, the redeeming sacrifice on our behalf, not for our sake. Let that be known, but for the sake of his own glorious name. Let's sing that this morning.
right there. And I think as we reflect on some of the words that are in that song that we just sang, we've been made alive. We've been, we have peace with God. We have been brought into his family. We have Christ available to us. He's our peace with God. He's our peace with men. He, he, has, he has done things that we cannot imagine. And we think of blessings as I have a house. I have uh, food to eat. I have these things. But there are blessings so much greater than that. And we'll pause as we think of those. So I'm going to read here from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name, his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continuously. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. to that. We think of our life before you even worse. We think of you, you say you are worthy of all of our heart, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we don't do that. And we, we are sorry. Please forgive us. We, we don't even do that with a fraction of, of that, and you are deserving of that. You're deserving of all of us. And we pray that we will you have done on our behalf and who you are, we just bow down before you. nothing happened. 
commitments except by your your hand and your spirit in those places. And we, we thank you for when that does occur. And we pray that we get to see some of that sometime. Your word does not return void whether we see it or not. So you are working there. We pray for this church and we pray for Grady as he brings your word. And we pray that your spirit moves um, in this of, of your children and, the, and that uh, we hear your spirit speaking to us what we need to take away from this time this morning that, uh, what from your word you have that's unique for each of us that living and active word that moves and we thank you for that this opportunity to gather to worship to lift your name high and uh, we pray it is uh, pleasing pleasing to you and we just lift these prayers up to you in Jesus name Amen graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, you're dismissed with Pastor CJ and Miss Nikki this morning. And while they're headed out, I've asked Molly to come up and give you a quick word of opportunity and a need that we have. So I'm just going to stand here. Does this work? That works. Okay. So I just wanted to let y'all know today that we do have a great need in our church right now. As you look around and see these children going out, you know that we have been so greatly blessed in this church with young families, young children, and you know that Jesus has called these children to him, and you know that they are here to hear God's word. Um, We're all called to serve one another in this body, and there are various ways we can do it. One of our greatest needs right now is some child care. Um, specifically on Wednesday nights, there are some parents that are carving out time in their schedule to bring their children here and learn more about God's word and be involved in Bible studies. And we have about 30 something little ones in preschool that are showing up every Wednesday night. And we have about four helpers that are trying their best to take care of them. So I'm really asking those, um, and particularly I feel like I'm asking those that maybe have not had children yet or those that have raised their children to step up at this time and help serve these young families that have some children that need to be taken care of on Wednesday nights in particular. And I will throw out there on Sundays as well. But please pray about this and find um, just Think about that. Pray about that. And it's a very simple way to, to serve these young families. Thanks, Molly. Yes, it is. we are so thankful for all the kids God has brought. You see them every Sunday headed out to kids' worship. And that's just the older kids. The younger kids are down the hall. You haven't even seen them this morning. And so, yes, if you would pray about that, we would appreciate your help with our kids' mission. Thank you, Molly, for all that you do. Why don't you find First Peter chapter 3 and your copy of God's Word this morning. First Peter chapter 3, friends. We talk often around here about the gospel, a word that simply means the good news, the good news, the gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, when you personally, when you think about the gospel and all that it entails, what about the gospel most gives you hope? What about the gospel most gives you joy? In other words, what do you find the most good about the good news? What's about the good news that you find the most good about? When you think about the gospel What is it that your heart finds the greatest joy in? When you think about the gospel and you pray and thank God for all he's done for you, what is it that you're most thankful for? When you're having conversations with believers or non-believers about the gospel and the good news, what about it gets you the most excited? Friends, the best part of the good news, the best part of the gospel for us is where Peter goes 
next in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Now, as we talk about the gospel this morning in 1 Peter 3, 18, realize we're still in the middle of a section about suffering. So if you're new to Gateway this morning, we're in the middle of a lengthy section of 1 Peter that deals with the suffering, the hardships that we as followers of Christ deal with in this life. In these verses we've been studying over the last three or four Sundays, Peter's been calling us to a radically different view of our sufferings and a radically different approach to how we tackle those sufferings, how we approach those sufferings in this life. Now, the main thing I hope you've seen over the last several weeks is the fact that God is sovereign, that he is Lord, he is over all things, including our sufferings, which shows us that our trials and our hardships in this life are not pointless. They're not arbitrary. They're in the hands of our good creator, and he is with us through them. He is redeeming them to grow us. As we saw the last two, he's God is giving us opportunities to point others to Christ through the way we have hope in the hardships of this life. But Peter's not done talking about suffering yet, and that continues today when he's going to connect the gospel message, the good news of Christ, with how we view suffering. So we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 this morning. There's two things I want us to look for. The first is, what part of the good news is the best news to you? What part of the good news is the best good that you find in your own life? But the second question for us this morning is, how does this focus on Christ and the good news give us hope in our sufferings? Because again, this is not just a random insertion of the gospel here. This is tied very closely to this discussion of sufferings we've seen in recent weeks. So how do these truths help us endure sufferings now? So look for both those answers. What part of the gospel is the best news? And then how does these truths help us in our sufferings? Look for both those as we read. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the word of God? First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. We also have the words on the screen for you. First Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. May we treasure that we have your revelation right before our eyes here. Lord, today as we think of the more familiar topic of the gospel, but how it connects to sufferings, God, give us fresh eyes to see it. Help us have a sense of awe and wonder at what you've done. And may it strengthen us for whatever you call us to walk through in this life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to answer our questions about what is the best part of the good news and how does this help us in our suffering, we need to start off here with how Peter describes the good news, the gospel, to us. This is a good place for us to start, friends, because there's a danger for you and I as believers, as these truths are not new to us. These truths are familiar to us. In fact, they're too familiar to us sometimes, and we miss the wonder of what is right before our eyes here. Now, there's a reason they're familiar to us. It's because they're all throughout Scripture, Have you noticed how frequently the scripture points us back to the simple truths of the good news of Jesus? The Old Testament prophets point us to who Christ is and what Christ would do. The gospels give us great details about what Christ did to purchase our salvation. The epistles, the letters call us repeatedly to remember what Christ has done. All throughout the scripture, we see the good news of Jesus over and over and over. So why does God tell us the same thing over and over again? Friends, because we need it. Because we're pretty dense, aren't we? God is the good shepherd who cares for us as sheep. And well, sheep, as CJ points out to us regularly, are not very smart creatures. They need to be led daily to the food. They need to regularly be showed which way to go. And so God, throughout all the different genres of Scripture, keeps pointing us back to the simple truth of who he is, who we are, and what he has done for us. And so he keeps taking us back to this message of the good news for us. 
And so, friends, before we go on, because of the familiarity of the thought of good news in Jesus or demons, I want us to pause where you're sitting and take a minute and would you pray, just silently where you're sitting, and ask God to give you fresh eyes to see the beauty of the good news this morning and to ask God to increase your sense of marveling and awe at it. So would you take a minute where you're seated and just pray and ask God to give you eyes to see the beauty of the gospel this morning and this fresh sense of awe over it. Take a minute and do that where you're seated. Lord, you've heard the prayers of your people, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us fresh eyes to see the beauty of this truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look back at verse 18, this incredible good news that God has before us is described with three phrases here. These are simple phrases and yet very deep. These are poetic and yet very rich with meaning. And so look at the very first of these three descriptions of the gospel, because each of these descriptions of the gospel tells us something about what Christ did it tells us why he did it and how he did it. So what did Christ do and why did, he do, or why did he do it and how did he do it? So the first question is, what did Christ do? What is the message of the gospel? And that's this first phrase. Notice the beginning of verse 18, for Christ also suffered. Christ suffered. Now you know this, Christ is a title, not a name. It's the Greek word for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who had been promised throughout the Old Testament that would come rescue us from our sin. Peter is showing us, believers now walking through the hardships of life, that Jesus is the one who has come on a mission to rescue us. But Peter does something really interesting here with this in verse 18. Normally, Scripture talks about Christ dying for our sins. Here we're told that Christ suffered for our sins. And there's a reason Peter does this, because we'll see in a minute, he's tying our sufferings to what Christ has done for us. But it's interesting he uses this term for suffering. And friends, I realized this week as I was thinking on this text and studying through it, I need that reminder. Because as Easter comes and we see the crosses everywhere and the reminders of the cross, we so sanitize the sufferings of Christ. We so miss that that we can talk about Christ hanging on the cross and barely even flinch at the thought of it. It's become such a sanitized story for us. But it's a story of Christ, the perfect one, enduring untold suffering and cruelty and pain. Christ suffered. I just want to remind us of what Christ endured for us here. Matthew chapter 27, we're told, then the soldiers, this is in verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Again, let the image of that sink in, friends, a crown pushing into his head, and they put a reed, and they put a reed in his right hand, And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him in the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. And a few verses later, in verse 37, And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. And a few verses later, down in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken you. Jesus suffered on that cross. Jesus suffered leading up to the cross, and he did so willingly. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 is so important to realize in this. For this, this is Jesus himself speaking. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And in verse 18, no one takes it from me. Jesus didn't endure this suffering because he was helpless or because it was what the plan of the Romans was. He did this because it was his plan. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So what did Jesus do? Well, that's the first phrase that Peter's telling us here. He suffered, he died. Now, why did he do this? Well, to accomplish what the second phrase is. Of, go back to verse 18 this morning. For Christ also suffered now, why did he do that? The next phrase, once for sins. Jesus suffered once for sins. He suffered because of our sins. These were not his sins. They were our sins. Just a few verses later, back in 1 Peter 3, 15, we've already been told, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He's perfect in this, all he did. He suffered to pay for my sins. He suffered to pay for your sins because he was perfect. 1 Corinthians 15.3 reminds us of this beautiful truth of this. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Or the prophet Isaiah said it so well in this beautiful text in Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And in verse 6, all we like sheep... We've gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the great sins, friends, of us all. Christ suffered on the cross to pay for my sins and your sins. And he did it as a once-for-all sacrifice. Look back at verse 18 here. He says, once for sins. He suffered once for sins. In the Greek language which this was written, this is a completed action. It was never to be repeated. His suffering for our sins is not ongoing. It's complete. It was taken care of on the cross that day. And that's what that word once means. Now, some of your translations say once for all. It's probably not the best translation. The Greek here is just simply the word once. It was a completed action, one-time offering with permanent results. That's what the author of Hebrews brings out in Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ, what did he do? He suffered on the cross. He died. Why? To be the payment for our sins. A decisive once for all time, once for all sin sacrifice. Now, that leads to the third phrase. How did Jesus do this? How did he take the punishment for our sins? And that's the next phrase here in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Here it is. The righteous for the unrighteous. This word righteous here is a description of Jesus. He's holy. He's perfect. He's never, he never once sinned in his thoughts, in his motivations, in his words, in his actions. He is Perfect and the only one who that can be said of. In fact, in the Greek language here in which was written, this word righteous is singular. There's only one, and that's him, which is a contrast with the unrighteous, which is a plural word here, which is all of us who sin every day in our thoughts, who sin every day in our words, who sin every day in our motivations, who sin every day in our actions. There's a contrast here that Christ, the perfect one, took the punishment of us, the unrighteous, on himself. He willingly suffered to pay the penalty for our sin. Now, friends, I, 
I want you to understand the depth and the wonder of this. So as you read this verse, put your name here. Can you say with confidence, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for me. Do you know with confidence, friends, that you are the unrighteous, one of the unrighteous ones that Christ died for on the cross? Can you read that verse and put your name there and know with confidence that Christ died as a once-for-all sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin? Friends, Romans 5.8 brings out the same truth as well. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, this is personal here. When Christ died on the cross, he wasn't dying generally for sins. He wasn't dying generally for the sin problem or brokenness of the world. He died to take the specific sins of specific people who he would call to himself, the people who would believe he dealt with their sins. So again, friends, as you look at this, can you with confidence look at that verse and say, but God showed his love for Grady, that God showed his love for put your name in there, that while I was still a wretched sinner, Christ chose to die for me. Do you have that confidence that he died for your sin? First John chapter 4, verse 10 is the same idea again. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, do you know that you belong to God, not because of anything good you did, but because God loved you and sent Christ to be the propitiation, that payment for your sin. And then we read it earlier, I was fitting to go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verses five and six. He was wounded for my transgressions. My life is full of transgression. Your life is full of transgression. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Christ, this perfect one, the righteous one, was the chastisement that brought you and I peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. Verse six, we, I've gone astray. You have gone astray. We all have turned, every one of us, to our own way. But the Lord has put on Christ, the righteous one, the iniquity of us all. Friends, the beauty of this gospel message here that Peter is reminding us of, that we see all throughout Scripture, is that you and I have no hope in and of ourselves to ever get to God. We've already seen this earlier in the service, that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We have nothing you and I can bring to cause God to love us. All we have to offer to God is our mess of our sin and our rebellion. But God, being rich in his mercy, what we see here in verse 18, sent Christ to suffer once for sin so that the unrighteous us could have our punishment taken by the righteous one in our place. Now, friends, that is incredible good news for us, that our sins are forgiven, that we've been given Jesus' righteousness, but that's still not the best part of the good news. That's still not the greatest good of the good news. So what is the best part for us of the good news? Now, quick clarification that I want to make here for us before we move on. And so I asked Justin if we could sing that song right before the sermon. When we talk about the gospel and all God has done for us, in our culture, there's a great danger to put us at the center of the story of this. But the reality is that the gospel message, the good news, is not primarily about me and about you. It's about God, his glory, his reputation, his fame, us showing his nature. The whole idea of the gospels, we see in the gospel both the justice and the mercy of God at the same time. We see the holiness and the graciousness of God all on display at the cross and in this beautiful message here. Friends, we are not the center of the story of the gospel. God is. That's why we sang, for the sake of his name, for his unrivaled fame, he has reconciled his people at the cross. 
Now, Justin read for us from Ezekiel that the song was based on, but I want you to see this in two other places because this is so important to guard us as we look at texts like this. Isaiah 43, 7, what God says to his people, everyone whom is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God didn't make us because we're such amazing people. He didn't make the gospel about us. The gospel is about his glory being put on display. Ephesians 1 tells us the same thing in verses 4 to 6, in this incredible text of all that God has done for us that we could never do. It culminates with his glory, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, verse 6, to the praise, not of how amazing we are, but to the praise of his glorious grace, friends, salvation, the gospel, the good news is not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and his glory being on display. So I want to frame all that we're talking about today with that and not lose sight of that. But with it being about God's glory, there's still a great benefit you and I receive, and we want to be thankful for that. And the greatest good of the good news for us is not just that I'm forgiven, It's not just that you and I have received the righteousness of God. There's a greater good in all that and why Christ has forgiven us and why Christ has given us his righteousness. So go back to verse 18 here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now stop with the next word, so that. This in the Greek is a purpose clause. This tells you why something happened. And so he tells us, for Christ suffered so that. Now, all those other phrases, once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, is telling us more about Christ's suffering. But Christ suffered so that. Here's the reason he suffered and died. And what is it? It's the greatest good that we receive here. He suffered so that, we, that he might bring us to God. The greatest good of the good news is not just that I'm forgiven, or not just that I've been given a new status before God. The greatest good of the good news for you and for me is that Christ has brought us to God. This word bring means to lead someone to, to approach. Jesus suffered and died to lead us to be able to approach God the Father, to be able to be in his presence and live through it, to be able to have a relationship with him and know him in a very real and a very personal way. The greatest good of the good news is not I'm forgiven and I'm not going to hell. The greatest news of the good news here is that we have access to God. We have a real, authentic, genuine, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, not just now, but for forever as well. Paul brings this out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I love the imagery here. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you're strangers to the covenant of promise. Now notice this, you were separated, you were alienated, you were strangers. We were cut off. Because of our sin, in the presence of a holy God, he cannot tolerate sin. We were cut off from him. Therefore, we had no hope. And notice this, we were without God and the world. But the very next verse takes us, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you have been brought near. You can now approach God. You are now in his presence. So the greatest good for us in the gospel is not that I don't go to hell. It's not just that I'm forgiven, though that's amazing. It's that I have a relationship with God I have been brought near. I am with God. He is with me now and forever and always. That raises a really important question for me to ask myself and for you to ask yourself. Is that the greatest hope in the gospel for you? Is that the greatest hope? Is that your greatest delight? Is your faith built on, I prayed a prayer, therefore I don't want to go to hell? Or is your faith built on, I have access to God that I could never deserve and I delight in his presence. Friends, what is the greatest good for you when you think about 
the good news. So why did Jesus die? Go back to verse 18. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Now that is a glorious, hope-filled truth. But remember, Peter is writing here about sufferings. Why does he stick this in the middle of a section of sufferings? What is the relationship here? And so to answer that, we need to see the connection Peter is making between Christ's sufferings and our sufferings. Notice verse 18, how he begins here. Don't skip over these transition words. For Christ also suffered. Don't gloss over for and also. He is linking this good news that Christ died for sins, the righteous for unrighteous. He's linking it with what he just said. And what he just said, go back to verse 17 right before it. This is to us as believers. For it is better for us to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. So he says, as believers, you're going to suffer in this life. You've heard me say a million times, you're going to hear me say a million more times, if you stick around here, God's will for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. God's will for us is much better than that. And so as such, we will endure sufferings in this life, in this broken world, because God redeems them for his purposes. So verse 17, it's better to suffer for doing good. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. He's linking our sufferings and the sufferings of Christ. He's connecting them. Now, he's doing this in a unique way because here at the same time, he's making a contrast and a comparison. So at the same time as he's talking about you suffer believers, but Christ also suffered, he's making a comparison. There's a contrast and a comparison both. Now, the contrast is Jesus's sufferings are unique. Our sufferings are nothing like the sufferings of Jesus. His sufferings were specific to secure the forgiveness of sins to make the unrighteous righteous. His sufferings were all culminating in being this once-for-all sacrifice by the righteous ones. Our sufferings are never like that. Our sufferings are not meritorious. We don't gain any favor because we suffer. Our sufferings don't secure us forgiveness. Our sufferings don't produce forgiveness for other people's. Christ's sufferings were unique. Verse 18, they were once for sins. They were the righteous for the unrighteous. Our sufferings are not at all related to that. So there's a contrast here, but yet there's a comparison here also. For Christ also, for also Christ suffered. Now, what is the comparison for us here? And that's where he goes with this final phrase of verse 18. For Christ also suffered, now notice this final phrase here, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, what in the world is this about? What's the comparison Peter's trying to make? Being put to death in the flesh is a reference to Christ's physical bodily death. He died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. Now, friends, while our deaths will look different than Christ's death, the point Peter's making here is we too will one day die in our flesh. That every single person on this planet, unless Christ returns first, we will face physical death on this earth. And so just as Jesus died and what we celebrate on that Good Friday, we too will one day die. Peter's linking that, that Christ died and we too will die. But that's not where the hope comes from, that he's trying to give believers suffering. Because the reality is Jesus didn't stay dead. Good Friday is not the end of the story. Jesus' sufferings in the cross were not the end of the story. As one person said, his sufferings did not have the final word. What happened to Jesus? This next phrase here, he was made alive in the spirit. He was made alive in the spirit. Now, this text is debated, and everything we'll look at next week in the next few verses is incredibly debated, so hang on for that. But people have different understandings of what this means that he's made alive in the spirit. Some people say, well, this is dealing with his body and his spirit or his soul, that though he physically died, his spirit lived on. Okay, well, that's true, but that's not, I believe, the point of this. 
Others say this phrase here at the end of verse 18, that he's made alive in the Spirit, is actually about the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead on that Easter Sunday morning. And that's what I believe this text is actually saying here, because the word Spirit, in Scripture can refer to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of a person. I believe this is talking about he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. Why do I think that? Romans chapter 8, verse 11 is why I think that's what Peter is saying here. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now just stop right there. The testimony of Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy and Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead. As we've said often when we study the Trinity, the whole Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, was all involved in this plan of redemption. The Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So Peter's drawing us a comparison right here in our text today that life is hard and full of sufferings. Jesus suffered and Jesus bodily died. We too will deal with sufferings of life and we too will ultimately bodily die. Jesus faced physical death one day, we will experience physical death. But where Peter's going here in verse 18, that I think Romans 8 makes clear, that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, why would Peter tell us that? Because of the hope that comes with that. Notice where he goes next in Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, just stop right there, friends. If you are in Christ, Scripture tells you you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in every Believer. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also, here's that also again like Peter does, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The hope that Peter's trying to drive here is the fact that, yes, think about the sufferings of Christ. Christ died, but the Holy Spirit brought Christ back to life. If you know Christ, your sufferings don't have the final word. Your death is not ultimate, that Jesus will, through the work of the Holy Spirit, raise you to newness of life also there. You see this in other places in Scripture as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 tells us the same thing. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Peter keeps talking about with this inheritance that we long for. And from it we await, we long for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform my lowly body, if you're in Christ, your lowly body, to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That if we are in Christ, the hope for us is physical death is not the end. That when Christ returns, we will have resurrection bodies like his. First Corinthians tells us the same thing in chapter 15, verses 51 to 53. Behold, look, notice this. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be Changed for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Friends, the reality is that we will be changed. This earthly body that deals with the pain of suffering and the hardships of life and the aches and pains and sadness of this life is going to be put away, and we will receive resurrection bodies like Christ. So that Peter is driving us to this and thinking about the sufferings of Christ to take us beyond the sufferings of Christ to his ultimate victory to remind us that if we are in Christ, we will be victorious too because we belong to him. And that should give us hope as we struggle with sufferings now. A few verses later in 1 Corinthians, verses 57 and 58, he tells us that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when we have this, this hope? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because, friends, the reality is in our sufferings, we get focused on self very quickly and very easily. It's easy in our sufferings and pain to stop being steadfast, to stop being immovable, to stop abounding in the work of the Lord. And what Peter is doing here for us is showing us that, yes, you will have sufferings in this life, but think about Christ. 
Not just an example like we saw in chapter 2, but remember his sufferings, yes, it led to his death, but the Holy Spirit raised him back to life. And if you are in Christ, yes, you're su- you will suffer in this life, you will face death, but the day is coming, you will have a glorified body too. Therefore, knowing that this earth is not home, therefore knowing this is not forever, be steadfast, be immovable, keep abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, even if you suffer, even if life is hard. There's one of the authors I read this week said it so well. It just made me stop and think. I want you to see it. It's a short little quote, but it simply said this. Resurrection means the worst thing is not the last thing. Resurrection means the worst thing is not the last thing. Whatever that hardship, that trial, that suffering you've been through or in now or still may go through in this earthly life, it's not the last thing. Something much more glorious and greater awaits on the other side for those who know Christ. So in the midst of our suffering, Peter is calling us to remember Christ to remember the gospel of what he's done for us, to remember his victory. We're going to go into that a lot more next week in the next verses, how he conquered death, and to let that give us strength and hope to press on now. Paul tells us the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Now, friends, I don't know where all of you are at, but if some of you are going through deep trials right now, and if not now, you will one day. Do not lose heart. Why? Our outer self is wasting away, but friends, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, he carries on. For this light, momentary affliction, now he's not making light of our sufferings, he's just acknowledging these are temporary. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then in verse 18, as we notice this, look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, things that are unseen are eternal. So how do we find this hope that Peter's directing us to in verse 18? I think it's right there. We look to the things that are eternal. As I saw this quote this week, and I want to share it with you also from another one of the scholars I was reading. It's a little bit longer, but I think it's a good word for us. This person said, It is all too common for Western Christians to obsess over their pains and sorrows. Now, I'll just stop right there before we go on. It's all too common for us to obsess over our pains and sorrows. Now, for instance, this doesn't mean... We don't grieve over it. It's okay. You look at the Psalms. We can lament over the brokenness and the sorrows and pains. That's good, and we need to do that. But we tend to turn that in our culture to a self-focus, and we obsess over those sufferings and hardships and trials we walk through. This author continues, though, and challenges. But if we can discipline ourselves, and that's the key word here, discipline ourselves, to lift our eyes from the present troubles, we should find courage in knowing that we will follow the pattern of Christ through suffering to resurrection and vindication. If we can discipline ourselves to lift our eyes from our present troubles. Friends, that's what Peter is calling us to do here, and that's where we're going to go next week with the verses that follow as well, is to turn our eyes just from our present troubles to ultimately disciplining them to think about eternity. We should find courage in knowing that we'll follow the pattern of Christ through suffering to resurrection and to vindication. So let's bring all that together. Verse 18, what's Peter showing us? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Here's what I want you to see this morning, friends. Marveling at the uniqueness of Jesus' sufferings that brought us to God gives us hope in our sufferings. Marveling at this, to get fresh eyes on the wonder of the gospel and think about how Christ suffered for us to bring us to God. That gives us hope in our own sufferings, friends. So I wanna ask you, friends, two big questions this morning, really just one big question. Do you believe really believe that Christ suffered for you? Do you know today beyond a shadow of doubt that you are righteous in God's sight, not because of anything in you, but because Christ, the righteous, died for you, the unrighteous? Do you know that you belong to God? Friends, if not, 
this text is an invitation to you to believe in Christ, to trust him, not just to get out of hell, but to trust him for your salvation, to trust him to be your Lord, the master of your life, to trust him to bring you to God as you seek God's grace to order your life according to his will. It's an invitation to know personally your creator. Friends, for those of you who know Christ, this text is a challenge for you. I think it's a double challenge. It's a challenge, first of all, to enjoy the presence of God. And our faith in Christ is not just to get out of hell free card. It is for a relationship with God. And so, friends, the question for you this morning is, are you enjoying God's presence? Not do you come to church every Sunday. Not do you sing when we sing. But do you, day by day, as you go to work and go to school and drive on Eastern Boulevard and go to Walmart and whatever else, do you enjoy the presence of God each and every day? That's what God is calling us to do. But, friends, also the challenge for you is to think eternally not to fixate on the problems of this life, but to turn our hope to eternity with God. Friends, when life is hard or even when you're on the easier days, are you turning your mind to think eternal? Well, that challenges us to be a people who seek God's grace, to grow us in our desire for his presence, a delight in his presence, and to turn our eyes to eternity, to not fixate on the problems of here and now, but to trust in eternity and hope in God this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for your text this morning that reminds us of that glorious gospel truth, that truth that Jesus suffered for us, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Lord, I confess this is something we think about and talk about so often, it's easy to become so familiar with it. So Lord, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters this week, Lord, would you stir our hearts afresh to the wonder of this, that we have been brought to you, that our sins have all been forgiven, that we who are unrighteous have now been declared righteous not because of anything in us. Lord, would you not let us grow complacent in our understanding of the gospel? May we not grow dull to this glorious truth, but may we remember the glories of the gospel day after day each week. Lord, I pray this week that whether it's a good day or a hard day, a day full of suffering, a day without as much suffering, that God, we would not fixate on the temporal things of this life. But God, you would give us much grace to turn our eyes to eternity, to think about eternity with you, and to find courage knowing that when we follow Christ, we too one day will be raised in newness of life. Lord, let us hope in eternity and may we live this week as elect exiles, as aliens and strangers, knowing this is not our home, but our home still awaits us. Lord, I cannot create that in my heart and these brothers and sisters cannot create that in their hearts either. We cannot manufacture an eternal perspective. God, we cannot manufacture delight in you. We can't just try harder this week to get these things. So Lord, we come to you just saying, help change us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit this week. Increase our hunger for your word. And as we read your words, we pray, as we talk about these things in community, I pray your Holy Spirit will breathe life into our weary souls where these truths become so real to us and we enjoy your presence and we think about eternity and live as people on that journey. So Lord, have your way transforming us to be who you desire for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stay in this morning? We're going to close thinking about the gospel again. Let this be a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Let this be a song of encouragement to you of how we can stand before the Lord because the blood of Christ has washed away our sins. Let's worship the Lord in it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood
our desire and delight this week, that our hope will be found in you and you alone. Give us grace to live that way, keep that perspective, what we just sung all week long, no matter where we are. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. And God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.